0: Welcome back to the Laravel podcast, season three. This is the first time we'll be talking to a member of the Titan team, senior developer, Samantha Geitz. Stay tuned. Alright, welcome back to the Laravel podcast, season three. Uh, Like I mentioned in the intro, for the first time ever... I have dipped into the local pool because I think that the people who work at Titan are great because otherwise they wouldn't work at Titan. I think they're all fantastic, but I've been trying to avoid nepotism. And if you're not familiar with the concept of nepotism, it's when somebody basically makes their whole their family and friends um, like in power. So basically Donald Trump personified. That's nepotism. So I've been trying to not be a nepotist. But at the same time, I mean, there's great people who deserve interviewing. So I figure we're going to start with. Samantha Geitz, who is one of our two senior developers, Samantha and Keith, our senior developers. And uh, you may have heard Samantha before, but before I go into her backstory and who she is, what she's about, first question I always ask everybody is, when you meet a random person in the store, how do you tell people what it is that you do?
1: There was a really long period of time where I said, oh, I'm a software engineer because it sounded really fancy and I kind of needed that validation. And right. I've kind of gone back to, I'm a developer. And they ask what that means. And I say, I build websites and some of which you probably use. And I list them off. And usually they kind of like glaze over about halfway through and or say, oh, my company's hiring. Do you <laughs> use net? Like you should come work for me. So. Right. Yeah. I've, I've kind of steered away from software engineer unless I'm talking to a real engineer because they get really mad and it's hilarious. <laughs> like yeah. you haven't taken certification. <laughs> so basically whatever <laughs> trolls
0: the best. So I tell people I make websites. Which drives my wife nuts because she's like, you don't make websites, you run a company. I'm like, I don't like telling people that when I first meet them because then it sets certain expectations. I like, the more that people underestimate me when they meet me, the happier I am. So, I would say, I guess um, that's true. I okay. actually
1: don't make very many websites for Titan more. I'm kind of like a uh, PM slash therapist slash Wrangler. I do a lot of handholding, <laughs> talk about feelings a lot. It's a great job. <laughs> That's basically we do, we, what we
0: do at Titan. We just use code as the ex- excuse for that.
1: We talk about feelings a lot at Titan. Yeah.
0: yeah. Um, okay. So uh, Samantha first came on to the scene when I knew who she was when she was speaking at Laircon US a couple of years ago in Louisville. I don't even know what year it was. 2015 or 2016, 2015, something like that. 2015. And mm-hmm. speaking about
1: microservices. It was the new hotness and... at the time. <laughs>
0: Taylor it was, introduced
1: it as the most anticipated talk at Laricon right before I walked on stage, and I was like, "Ooh, no pressure,
0: <laughs> no pressure." And the funny thing is, I don't think you've done any microservice work since you've started I at Titan, right? Have or not. have you?
1: No, but you also kind of hate microservices, yeah. so I'm kind of surprised you hired me after
0: that. I kind of hate them a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> yes,
1: we like this girl's ideas. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, you know. Yeah. We, what what we liked was the way that you think. That's not necessarily the microservice aspect. Not saying there's nothing good about microservices ever, but it's not. They're they're overblown a little bit. But anyway, so you gave that talk, and when said, well. Who is this Samantha Guides? She's great. And then soon afterwards, we open up a job post and you applied. It was great. That's not that's the point of this story. But now you're a senior developer, like you mentioned day by day. You write some code, you review some code, you write blog posts a lot. You wrote a three part React series that has like basically taken the internet by storm since it existed, which you keep updating. And I'll put a link to that in the show notes. You are kind of like the one of the React lead React thinking people in the world. You're the one who contributed the um the React preset to Larvo. So that's kind of one area you're kind of known a little bit. So if you haven't heard of Samantha before, go read a couple of her blog posts on the Titan blog, go check out the React preset, go check out our React series. Even if you know React already, it's a really good kind of like broad level introduction. That stuff's all great, but that's not what this podcast is about. This podcast is about people. So the next question I always ask everybody was, when was the first time that you interacted with a computer? And tell me about it.
1: Well, My dad had a uh, computer science background. So when I was really young, like five maybe we were using logo to build like tic-tac-toe and obviously I was not writing much of the code at age five but um you know I sit with him when he did it and it kind of like sparked an interest but as I grew up I always kind of thought computer science was A for boys B involved a lot of math and even though I'm (laughs) technically good at math like I did well on the GRE in math like I just kind of thought I was bad at math and I can go into all the feminist reasons about that on Twitter if anyone's interested. We don't need to spend the whole podcast <laughs> right. when I get on my platform and talk about it. But um I didn't really take computer science seriously as a career. And I, I had built some websites and stuff in high school and like Joomla. I think I'm dating myself here. Um but my last semester of my English literature degree. And fun fact, if people don't know, both Matt and Dan right. are also English majors. So Titan's got a very strong <laughs> liberal arts background. True. But I, uh, I took a computer science course as an elective because it was literally the only thing that fit into my schedule. And I was the only woman in the class and walked in, we... I immediately got picked out by this professor who was a very nice man, but also this like old Eastern European man Cut me after the first day and said, Oh, if you need extra help, you know, let me know. And within three weeks I was tutoring like a quarter of the class. So yeah, I, well, I had realized by that point, cause my background, like I said, was in English literature, but I wanted to be an English teacher and got through all of my English literature coursework <laughs> and then, um, started the education component and said, Oh, no, I hate teenagers. This is going to be awful. So um, <laughs> yeah, when I took that computer science course, I said, oh, cool. So this is what I want to do when I grow up. So I uh, went back to grad school and got a master's in information science. And I guess the rest we will probably cover in future questions here. We
0: will, but I have so many questions. Yes. I have so many questions. So your dad, computer science, you're five years old making tic-tac-toe in what?
1: Logo. It's like a programming language where you Logo. like move a turtle around the screen. I think it's kind of like scratch. I mean, this was almost oh, okay. like twenty-five years ago. So I couldn't tell you a lot of the specifics, <laughs> yeah. but
0: well, it's just funny. I was gonna say this is the first time that anybody's ever mentioned something I've never even heard of before, like programming language wise. Okay, but it was focused on kids learning. I think
1: so, yeah. I mean, I know my dad had like a, Probably probably C and basic and I don't even know what he's now he's yeah, now yeah. trying to learn Laravel. I have two brothers who are developers and my dad has decided he wants to get in that life too. So we have a Slack channel where he like posts questions and it's kind of fun.
0: (laughs) That's awesome. Tell, tell, tell me that he has a copy of my book.
1: He does not. No, he does. I will mail him him one. Okay. I I was going to say I'll mail him one. Sign it.
0: Jeez. Okay. Yeah, definitely. So, okay. So you did logo. Was there much computing, like were you on instant messenger and stuff like that in between that time and when you were in college or were you like sort of not a computer person during that time?
1: Oh, I was PC gaming master race from a very, very young age. Okay. So you've been sitting
0: on a computer. <laughs> yeah. You totally oh, skipped yeah. that part of it. Let's That's talk how about I that. Win.
1: That's how I win typing challenges.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: No, I was, I had a computer in my room from the time I was in eighth grade. So yeah, oh, I got into all sorts of shenanigans and instant messenger and stuff. I was like ten, like catfishing people and oh my goodness! I guess we don't. I not even know
0: that word meant until college.
1: (laughs) ASL, eighteen female California, and I'm like ten years old. (laughs) This is a family friendly podcast. We don't need to. Yeah, there you
0: go. We'll just keep it there. Yeah, catfishing. Go Google it. It's a type of fish, and it is a never mind. I'm not even gonna. Um, Okay, so playing video games. Did you build your own rigs?
1: I, oh Computers? yeah still do
0: still do i didn't know that
1: have you not have you not seen this i'm like turning my I've camera so matt can see my rig Look you should boy uh you should take a picture
0: hun- of it without a cat hanging well or with a cat hangover so we can put a link in the podcast on the show notes
1: i've got the, the clear panel on the side so you can see yeah i've got some good hardware in there too i've Man. got a 900 graphics card in there
0: Jeez. Um, okay, so you learned that stuff from your dad, computer science. You catfished people when you're ten years old. You built your own PCs, and you're playing video games. Was there anything formal before you went into college? Was there anything outside of you doing it on your own, or was this more kind of like you had the interest and you did all the stuff? And obviously, you said at age ten you had internet access, so there was, or was this bulletin board services?
1: Um, I I did have. Internet access, and yeah, I would be on various forums and stuff. But when I was fifteen, I think, I also English background dabble in writing. Surprise, surprise. So I ran a um like writing community website that I built on Joomla. I don't remember what forum software I use. Simple word maybe. Okay. Um so it was completely hacked together. Like there was a little bit of PHP, but it was a lot of just customizing templates and stuff which for me was a very different thing than I'm going to go get a computer science degree and do right. the calculus I guess because that's what computer science is right
0: right well and that's what that was my next question actually is at what point did you actually write a line of web-based codes because you mentioned you did logos so you had coding from age five but when do you actually write web code
1: that would have been high, high school yeah okay it was probably like and undergrad there was, there's no years. classes
0: for it you were just kind of view sourcing around on the internet and figuring out as you went.
1: Yeah, it was a lot of you know, I'm downloading this template and making it look the way I want it to look and I don't really know what I'm doing. I was not doing anything too complex. Um, right. It was Just a lot
0: FTPing of... it up to some kind yeah, of all FTP. general shared host. Okay. All right.
1: Yeah. Very much hacking my way around. I did not have a a solid grasp on it where someone could have probably paid me and gotten good work out of it. But I mean, at our peak, we had about for the writing website, maybe 250 active members. So it wasn't too small time for someone who was 15.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So what, speaking of people paying you, when was the first dollar or what was the first dollar you made making websites or making any code actually for that matter?
1: That would have been in grad school I did some freelance work because I very quickly realized that my grad program we did some programming stuff but it was like flash in 2012. Right. So, I very quickly figured out that I was not going to be learning the sort of things I could go get a you know web development job for. So, um yeah, I basically I was working when I started grad school in admissions at the University of Missouri Graduate School and trying to do that and full-time master's program and self-teach was just too much. So I took a risk and quit my job and just made a living for the rest of grad school freelancing. So yeah, that would have been, I think I, my first client paid me about like three grand for a pretty complex WordPress site. So yeah,
0: I was going to ask what tech stack were you doing most of that freelancing and mainly WordPress or?
1: It was pretty much all WordPress and the freelancing, and then I was self-teaching Ruby on Rails.
0: Did you do the front ends of those, or did you use templates mainly?
1: I did a lot of child themes. So I used, like, Genesis or something, and then built themes based off of that.
0: Okay. So you had at least kind of front-end capability. You probably knew CSS and jQuery, JavaScript, all that stuff by that Mm -hmm. point. Okay. And then Ruby on Rails, tell us that journey. (laughs)
1: Laravel, if it existed at the time, was not well-known. It must have probably been Laravel 2... Yeah. So basically I was just kind of looking into, you know, okay. So I went to build web applications. I very quickly figured out the limits of WordPress and I don't know, Ruby on Rails was kind of the hotness then. So I, uh, I built myself like a, you know, personal blog site just to learn it. Um, I don't think anyone has ever paid me to write Ruby on Rails code, Okay. but it kind of gave me a decent MVC background. And my, my first job, um, I was at I was just about to finish grad school and I was back up. I was at university of Missouri and I was back up in Chicago at a Ruby meetup. And there was an open bar that was sponsored by, gosh, I don't even remember one of the like API companies. So I met this guy who said, Oh yeah, my company's hiring. and We do rails. And I was like, Oh, okay, cool. So he got me this interview and Got the job, and then they told me I would be doing WordPress. <laughs> <laughs> <Because that> was... <laughs> so it's like, oh, okay, um, that's fine. That's, that's not really what I'd be doing. But they said, you know, eventually they'll move me over to a uh, more of a NBC stack, and I proceeded to do WordPress for the next year and a half. Yeah. But we landed a client who was going to not be great for WordPress, so I um, was looking into Laravel at the time because I had a really strong PHP background, hadn't done Rails mm-hmm. in a while, and that was. Right, there was Laravel three because Laravel four was released somewhere like in the middle of that project, and we upgraded. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's that's how I got into Laravel. It was just wishing I could do Ruby on Rails, and well, I've got this WordPress background, and I kind of know PHP. So I guess right. this is what we're doing now. Was the so. clients?
0: Um, if you, I don't know if you remember, it's been a while, but was the clients' tech stack such where if you had been a super accomplished Ruby developer? they would have signed on or would they prefer PHP as well at that point?
1: Are you talking about at the last agency I worked that, at?
0: That, that one company where you discovered Laravel 3.
1: Um, they had remember? been pitched on a WordPress site because, so the company I worked at, which I don't think technically even exists anymore, um, it's called Dojo. Dojo. <laughs> So there were a very small number of, it's called WordPress VIP agencies. WordPress VIP definitely still exists. It's actually a fantastic service, but it's basically Automatic, who's the company who does WordPress. It's like their premium hosting and support solution. I think it starts, I mean, then it was like $3,500 a month, but you had sites like Pandora, like their entire advertising platform was built on it. Um, I think Time Magazine, Mm -hmm. we did a lot of work for Tribune. So I actually got a lot of like enterprise WordPress experience, like just because Hmm. they wanted... there's only like 10 shops in the world who did it
0: that actually do that kind of work
1: um but the problem was we just pitched wordpress for everything and when it's something that doesn't really fit into that posts and pages paradigm and they wanted you know all sorts of crazy relationships between entities and stuff so i kind of steered them away from that and i had a lot of flexibility in the stock i could use so it's like kind of had been looking to laravel a little bit and said i'm I'm going to learn it. And I use that project yeah, to yeah. learn it. <laughs> so it was pre, nice. pre-Laracast too, I think.
0: Yeah, I, I believe, I could be wrong, but I, I believe that Laracast came out during four, but I, I could be wrong. And I, I got to go look that up later. So um, Use Daryl Reese's yeah, book I, to learn it. Yeah, there you go.
1: <laughs> it was Codebrite, code I think. Code, yeah, we did Laravel Code 3.1, That was how yeah, I learned exactly. Larabel.
0: Nice. Yeah, that's how I learned it too. And then eventually Jeffrey. All right, so at that point, you, I was trying to think. There was a couple questions rolling around, I had rolling around about prior to that. So, I'm trying to think about your background. So, you had got, did you finish your undergrad degree in English before you went to the CS? Okay. Yeah. Oh, sorry, she nodded. Yeah, it yes. was just
1: an elective. I had yeah. like, you know, just some elective I had to take to graduate. I was working full time at Best Buy and just was like the only thing that slotted into my schedule. So, yeah. I was like, okay, I'm not sure how this is going to go because I haven't taken math. In five years but yeah turns out (laughs) clearly it worked out (laughs) turns
0: out okay so so you worked you're doing wordpress you did a little bit of laravel 3 what was the next transition from there
1: i so i was okay i don't want to do wordpress anymore i know laravel now so i got a job at this um startup called packback Mm -hmm. um who are still around they are a shark take funded startup in chicago hey um, yeah, they. You can
0: see him in, see him on uh, YouTube, right? I feel like I saw that at some point.
1: Probably. Um, the, their episode. So yeah, I got a job um, working there, and pretty specifically as a backend developer, because um, mm-hmm. their their front end stack was Angular, and um, <laughs> the, the big Laravel project I'd done for the previous agency we had kind of a uh, it ended up being a very complicated Angular setup, and people hear me talk about Angular PTSD, and that's why um, it was just. A single page application that should not have been a single page application. It was just mm-hmm. a lot of Angular. So yeah, I pretty much did strictly API development for the next year and a half after that. Um, and it was all Laravel and it was microservices, and that's how I got really pumped about that idea. Mm-hmm. Which also meant my friend and Chops took a nosedive, which is a big part of the reason I ended up learning React. It's like, all right, I need to I need to get back into this world. Get Back
0: into it. Yeah.
1: We don't have API developers a Titan.
0: Yeah. No, everybody does everything. So let's talk about. Your work there a little bit. I think everyone has a pretty good sense of the value of single-page apps and API first. Uh, and just to recap real quick for anybody who hasn't heard these pit, pit pitches, API first basically means build the API, then build a JavaScript single-page app that consumes that API. Then when you need to build a mobile app, it'll magically be fast and easy and quick because you already have an API that works. And there's definitely some, some true promise there. One of the things we've talked about a lot lately at Titan over the last kind of year is as someone, I, I'm I'm kind of a little bit of an old head developer where I'm just like, hey, you know what? This is the way I've been doing it for X number of years. I want to keep doing it. Um, but I want to leave space for us to try those things, the SPAs and the the API first stuff like that. But we've definitely seen some of the pain points of uh, microservices, some of the pain points of SPAs and stuff like that. So... I would say the bigger your team, the bigger the company, the bigger your needs, the more likely the mobile needs, the more likely that you will find the API first and the the SPAs to be worth the costs they introduce, right? I would assume that, you know, that where you were would have been one of the places where that's just like a clear win. But and I don't want to I don't want to dig too much into their intellectual property and things like that, but you mentioned that an SPA may end up being kind of like a little tough in some context. So without revealing any of their secrets or anything like that, is there anything you can talk about that helps you understand when you think an SPA is or is not kind of the right fit? Are there any like signs or anything like that that helps you really kind of think through that?
1: I feel like kind of where I've gone on it is, yeah, if you know you're going to have a lot, and I say you know, and one of the things about working with a startup is you hope. You hope you're going to grow. You hope you're going to be right. handling a lot of traffic and stuff. And I think a lot of companies end up doing a lot of premature optimization based on that mm-hmm. um, compared to a situation in which maybe you're refactoring a monolith and it makes sense to break off some asynchronous task into a mon- or a microservice. That's a place I would definitely reach for it now. Single page applications that have a lot of views and very com- complicated like authentication and authorization requirements my preferred way now is to have, say, like a Laravel app with viewer react components where you're utilizing a lot of like server side stuff and a lot of like out of the box, you know, authentication things. And then just the really interactive UI things that it makes sense to have JavaScript. That's where you kind of have. So I I have found that to be easiest personally. I, I think a single page application, if it's really a single page is it can be great. Mm-hmm. I think a single page application where you're trying to have some very complicated web application with multiple pages gets, gets complicated. I mean, there are routers and stuff that can help you handle it. And, you know, I can, I can see the argument for using it, but I have always found that the overhead is a lot more than using something like Laravel or rails
0: mm-hmm.
1: with, you know, server side stuff.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. You're,
1: you know, you don't have sure to about someone going into a console and like messing around and seeing, you know, encrypted things. It's just, I don't
0: know. Yeah. It's interesting you mentioned the single page because single page app, in theoret- theoretically, the single page is referring to the fact that it's a single page that doesn't get navigated away from. But like you mentioned, single page apps are a lot less complicated when they don't have to handle, I guess what you'd say, like, like theoretical multiple pages that are served by that one page. And, and you could say, like, how many URLs does it serve? If that if that single page right. serves a single URL, your complexity is going to be a lot lower than if that single page serves multiple URLs using a router.
1: Yeah, not to say that you you should never have multiple views in a single page application because right. of course that's silly. But I mean, if you have you know a, a, you know a Laravel app with thirty controllers that all have all these routes and stuff, and you're trying to do that in in the context of a single page application can you do it? Sure. Is it going to be a lot more code and overhead than if you did it server side? Yes, absolutely.
0: So the question is, do the the pros outweigh the cons in that context? And sometimes the assumption can be, well, it's the new thing and eventually we could use it. So therefore, yes, but you got to realize the cons. And Caleb's been talking about a lot this recently because he lived in microservice land for a while. So he was becoming a little bit of the captain or the cons of, uh, of microservices. So I'll have to ask him about that another time. But I think that you are, obviously, you know, microservices, but you also know full stack routing, JavaScript, all that stuff, super, super, super well. So you gave a talk about microservices. It's funny, uh, Chris Fidal gave a talk about hexagonal architecture and doesn't, as far as I know, doesn't do it at all right now. You gave a talk about microservices and obviously I haven't assigned you to any projects with microservices since, but. I know that you do side stuff. If if you were doing a side project, what what do you default monolith right now? And if so, can you tell me one or two really clear signs that tells you to, re- regardless of SPA versus anything else, one or two clear signs that makes you want to pull a service out?
1: Yeah, I mean, I can actually give a concrete example from the last six months. So um, a friend and I were working on basically... call it like linkedin for professional gamers like we realized um specifically for this game overwatch um which like more recently has it's called overwatch league which almost is like a professional sports franchise model Mm -hmm. and these were selling for like 15 million dollars where it's like the houston outlaws i mean there's like yeah i mean there's a lot of money flowing around the scene and these professional players there was a discord chat room in which these you know coaches and owners for these 15 million dollar teams would be scrolling through players looking for teams so like oh there's an opportunity here so yeah we basically built an app to um you know hook professional players up with teams and one of the things that we wanted to do to keep people coming back was to integrate like their twitter and um twitch stuff and twitch specifically doesn't have any sort of like Web hooks or anything where it's like oh this new thing mm-hmm. is on twitch we hit your app right. so we had to pull it yeah so it's just this process that was constantly running in the background and basically i built some logic into the main app to figure out who need to be refreshed because obviously if someone is streaming like you want to refresh them more often so when they're offline they're no longer yeah, yeah. showing and the actual thing that was hitting the twitch api was a, a totally separate microservice yeah. just because it was this process that was constantly running and i didn't want that load on my regular yeah. server
0: so that's, that's my exact same use case is that when I'm finding myself in a place where I'm interacting with a third-party server that doesn't present the data I want or in the timeline that I want or takes too much load, that's the first thing I want to do is I build the API I want and then I make that that API do all the work of getting the data into that shape or whatever. So I like that.
1: Yeah, it, anything that you would have to run asynchronously and could put a lot of strain on your server and you know you want to make sure that I like, I would reach for a microservice before I'd start getting into crazy load balancing stuff mm-hmm. for kind of like infrastructure because I think it's pretty easy to just build something that does a thing. You can slap it out easily if you need to. Yeah. Um, but, you know, what I build a separate microservice for, you know, users, probably not Yeah. just to have it different. Mm-hmm.
0: OK, so your day job is at Titan. We talked about what you do there. You also speak at conferences and you also blog. So even though you don't love teenagers, you did end up teaching. Tell me who is your most common audience that you're thinking about when you're giving a talk and what are your most and least favorite things about giving conference talks?
1: I <laughs> I gave a talk a couple weeks ago at Eerie Day of Code and I literally had a slide where I made assumptions about the audience and <laughs> one of them was that they're like white males. <laughs> um, it, was, it was a feelings talk about actually, um, design patterns and microservices and crazy architecture, like looking into the reasons that people use that. And I feel like a lot of it is actually kind of imposter syndrome where you feel like, you know, people on Twitter get very opinionated about software and say things like, why are you putting, you know, models in your controllers, like you should have a repository for this and just get really dogmatic about it. And, you know, you get to the point where you can kind of builds anything, even if that's just in a way where you just have very basic MVC and you start learning more about design patterns and you just want to apply them to everything because you have this knowledge that's so exciting. And also, are you going to be judged if you don't? So I, I don't, I would like to start speaking at more women in tech spaces, but I'm very aware whenever I'm in front of an audience that it's mostly white guys in the 25 to 35 age range. So, yeah, I mean, I'll, that's, that's generally the audience I'm aware of. I do hate public speaking though. I have a, I'm very introverted despite my personality on Twitter. <laughs> and getting up in front of a crowd and speaking is very very overwhelming for me sometimes.
0: So what's what's your what's your best trick for when you're preparing to give a talk to help either reduce your nerves or prepare in a way that make you feel more confident or something like that?
1: I kind of just I kind of just don't over prepare. And I get up there and just almost treat it like a conversation. Mm -hmm. I I've been told I'm a very like conversational speaker. I feel like if I over rehearse, I will get very stilted. Mm -hmm. I also kind of just give myself permission to use a little profanity if like that's or just like make jokes if those are there. And sooner or later, I'm going to make a very off color joke in a very public place and it's going to get me into trouble. But hasn't really happened yet. So (laughs) So far, so good. (laughs) So far, so good. But it's one of those things I just kind of muscle through and it's gotten better over the course of my career. I, I told Matt at my last review in November, I think that that was my goal for 2018 was to get back out there and give a bunch of talks and not let my stage fright overwhelm me. Mm -hmm. And I'm two in and Laracon coming up in July. So, uh, when you give me my review next week, Matt, (laughs) (laughs) hopefully
0: we'll, hopefully we'll, we'll, we'll look positively on that. Well, so you told me, you told me the thing that you like the least, which is public speaking. What do you like the most about giving conference talks?
1: Oh, clearly the Twitter fame. I mean, you <laughs> see that follower <laughs> count, up. No, I um, I. It is the Twitter fame. I'm trying to think. Like, <laughs> no, it's like no, I. It's it's That's fun. True. Like it's okay. getting up there and get, doing a good job and knowing that I conquered my my fear of public speaking and didn't ruin my career. Yeah. And I mean, I, you know. And like the, I just gave a React workshop at PierceConf and it was pretty small. I think it was maybe 15, 20 people. And, you know, so I had a lot of space to go around and, you know, work with people one-on-one and, Mm -hmm. you know, get people excited about this technology that I'm really excited about. And that, and it was just, that was cool too. Just kind of getting that really like face-to-face time compared to, you know, being on stage and talking at 800 people, most Mm -hmm. of whom are probably just like screwing around their laptops anyway. But I mean... I got, I had a lot of people come up to me after my white boy feelings talk at Eerie Day of Code too and say like, oh, actually that really resonated with me that yes, I, you know, was there in my career too. And I understand that, you know, imposter syndrome is a thing for men that isn't talked about. Yeah. So
0: giving, giving people permission to, to experience the things they're experiencing and, and language for understanding what it is.
1: It's something we talk a lot about at Titan and it's something that's talked a lot about in various women in tech circles. But I feel like tech as a whole, we don't talk a lot about mental health issues. Mm -hmm. We don't talk a lot about imposter syndrome and the fact that everyone experiences. And if you don't, you probably have like horrible Dunning-Kruger and you're kind of a lost (laughs) cause. You're like, (laughs) never like you're one of the things I had in my slide that I'm going to assume about you is a anyone at that conference is very smart and cares about writing good code because you're not going to conferences if you don't care, but also that you're aware about aware of that fact for everybody else in the room. Like, you know, that everyone else in tech and smart and is trying to do a good job and you compare yourself to that bar. Yeah. And that's a very intimidating thing yeah. for, I mean, I think women feel it more acutely or people of colors, you know, people who are more outside of the mainstream, yep. but white guys feel it too. And it's something that's just not discussed. Mm-hmm. And I mean, to, I think to the detriment of all of us.
0: Yeah. I think that's really helpful. Um, Especially a lot of conversations that center around understanding kind of the diversity of experiences and especially a sentence that says women and people of color experience this more. I think a lot of people instantly hear that you're going to be telling white guys that, oh, well, we have it really easy. And so I think it's really helpful yeah. to hear. I think for everybody to hear someone say women and people of color have it especially tough. But white guys, nobody's talking about the fact that you experience it, this thing as well. You know, I think and it's not just white guys, it's men that aren't white or white people that aren't men, you know, but like the, you know, the, yeah, the more binary, right. well, but, like but, but, but by that I more mean the, the more uh, normative, the, the, the my, white male heterosexual Christian, blah, 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 American, the 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 less likely I think you tend to feel in these kind of conversations that there's a space where you actually have valid experiences, valid pains, valid difficulties and and there's a lot we could say about that that this is not the podcast for, but I think one of the things <laughs> I really appreciate is that in a context where you are explicitly saying, hey, it can be harder in these contexts to be a woman or a person of color or whoever else, that does not mean that other people aren't having this experience. That does not mean that people with exactly. privilege or however you want to talk about it are not also having imposter syndrome issues, and sometimes it's actually less approved for white guys to talk about these things. I think I, I'm really grateful that you, as not a white guy, are giving people that permission to feel that, the language for that, and everything. So that's super cool.
1: I mean, ultimately, the, the kind of main takeaway of the talk about reading other people's code, like good code or bad code, is you know you don't know the space they were in, they were writing it. You don't know their motivations for writing mm-hmm. it. But it was never that they were trying to make your life right. miserable. Like they, no one wrote code like I want the person who maintains this after me to struggle yeah. and you know treat. People with kindness, even if you will never see them because you inherited it, you know, you have to give them the benefit of the doubt sometimes because everyone does have those struggles in this industry. It's, it's really tough. That's
0: a great point. And I mean, honestly, like imagine the the worst pressure you've ever been under during a coding session where the client was pushing you, they're rushing you and your dog just died the day before and you want to do really great work, but the client needs something tomorrow. And then they cut off the contract after that and you did your best, but you aren't proud of that. Like every time you interact with somebody else's code. Imagine that they were in that circumstance, right? And it's like the oh, okay, maybe they're not a total bumbling idiot, but maybe they weren't in. And you know, like like it's people often say, you compare other people's code, you know, worst code against your best code, or whatever, or the the code you try to think you write in your head, even though it's not actually the code you write.
1: Exactly, and and sometimes that code that you're looking at, the bad code, is your own code, and you need to be able <laughs> yes. to forgive yourself for writing bad code yeah. six months ago because you didn't know better. Yeah. I mean, if I feel like if you're not looking from at code from six months ago and saying WTF was I thinking. Yeah, yeah, you're not growing. I mean that means you're not improving. That's not a good thing. So that was yeah, that was that was a cool talk. And a lot of people came up to me after and said that they, you know, enjoyed it and it resonated with them. I'm sure a lot of people were sitting there like, this is stupid. I She's am the smartest person right? in yeah. this room, but they, <laughs> they, they weren't picking problems. bites with me. So that's fine. Yeah, right. <laughs>
0: well, and that's the Twitter fame part, right? Like if, if you like, not to say that we never get any benefit out of giving these talks. So sometimes you get paid, sometimes you have certain experiences, but like when we're speaking at the type of conferences we're speaking at, we're not making like life-changing money. We're not making even pay you back for your time kind of money. We're making like hey, I'm going to try and minimize the cost when you just took off work for five days kind of money or whatever else. So right. it, this is there's at least an element, and I think usually a pretty large element, of doing it because you want to help people and you want people to learn and you want people to grow. So in terms of the the joke that you made about, you know, I do it for the Twitter fame. I mean, what I hear there, and I'm pretty sure this is what you meant, was hearing the feedback from people that the work that you just put into trying to help them, help them is one of the most affirming things that you can get after a talk. You're like, oh, I overcame, you know, imposter syndrome and I overcame public speaking anxiety and I spent all that time preparing it and it's making the impact I want it to make. And that like makes you want to go do the thing again. Did I just uh, is, read you right on that? You or, did. Okay.
1: It's it's a very affirming experience. And I do think it's very important, you know, whether or not you do public speaking or blogging or psycho overflow or just, you know, making it like publicly known on Twitter that you're available for mentorship. I think it is really important in this industry to get back and to to give back rather and to talk, you know, about your failures and successes and to pass it along to, you know, the next generation of developers. I mean that, that does help normalize it, I think. It helps normalize the shared experience where you see people's victories on social media and not their struggles. You know, I'm not gonna go on Twitter and say, I had a really bad day where I was struggling with this thing and just didn't get it. And I feel awful about myself right now. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, I dealt with this exact issue six months ago and screwed it up and it was a big deal, but I survived survived. and here was my takeaway. I think, (laughs) you know, one of the, one of the things that I've kind of realized over my career and then, you know, working with more junior people is, You know, sometimes I get tasked something and I have no idea how to do it, but I have the experience now to know that I've managed to figure it out every other time and every single other time it's been okay. And a lot of my job now is just talking to our more junior developers and saying like, it'll be okay. You will figure it out. You have the team behind you. No one's going to judge you if you don't get it right on the first time. That's what code review is for. And also I did it and screwed it up this one time. (laughs) So if you had this bad day where you, you know, got a bad code review, like it's fine. Everyone's the hardest on themselves generally, I think.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. We're short on time, but this this kind of surface one more question I want to ask and then we'll start rolling down a little bit. You yeah. have worked for consultancies and product companies. This may be a hard question to answer, but if it's not, what now that you work in a consultancy, what is the best and worst aspect of working at a consultancy relative to working in a product company?
1: Working at so when I joined Packback, I mean, they were still fairly young. They were migrating from this really gross Magento thing wow. to like a Greenfield thing. So I got I kind of got the like Greenfield fun, new, shiny experience. But then we got to the point where we were launched and maintaining. Working at a consultancy gives you the opportunity to work with a very, very large array of product, uh, projects, rather. And some of them are going to be Greenfield new and shiny and you learn new things. Some of them are going to be, oh, God, there's this awful legacy app. And then you'll learn new right, things, right? I think it's really, really easy to get a very wide diversity of experiences. And that is going to make you an awesome developer. And you'll be able to tackle a lot of things that come your way and see pitfalls that you wouldn't if you were just mm-hmm. working on, you know, one platform consistently. I do. I do love products. That's why I always have separate side hustles going, especially now that I'm not day to day on code as much a Titan, yeah. um, just so I can stay on top of the new shiny. But and I've also I've never worked for like you know, a Google or, you know, in Chicago, like right. Groupon or Grubhub or some of the bigger ones. So I've never had that experience. All my enterprise stuff has been like, okay, I'm, you know, developing this large WordPress site or something or working on, you know, I'm one developer working on this like small piece for this other company, not I'm part of this very large yeah. team in a very, very medium sized fish in like a huge, huge, huge <laughs> pond. <laughs> so yeah, I certainly, that's, that's one thing I've kind of lacked in my career. And now that I work at Titan, have no exp- like desire to go seek at all. Like not to say I don't have that opportunity, but nah, I'm good.
0: All right. So you, you just said very nice things about consultancies. Was, was the worst thing kind of snuck in there about, oh, I like to do product stuff or is there, is there a worst thing about working for consultancy that you could share?
1: I feel like if you work for a good consultancy who helps, and one of the problems with client work is their stress tends to trickle in and become your stress or sometimes mm. becomes a deluge and it's your stress. And I mean, agencies and consultancies have a very bad reputation for burning people out and working them crazy hours and crunch time and deadlines and, you know, let's plan things six months out and make this promise. And then, oh God, we're not going to be able to deliver. I've had both. (laughs) I've I've not so much had the latter at Titan, but you know, I, I would be very, if Titan shut its doors tomorrow, I would probably go to a product company Mm -hmm. over another consultancy unless I really knew. That stress was not going to become my stress because I just at this point in my life don't want to deal with it anymore. Yeah. I'm not working I'm not working 60 to 80 hour weeks. Yeah. Like I'm just not.
0: <laughs> yeah. I think you have to be super intentional in any company to create good good working environment. But in a product company, when you create a good working environment, it stays relatively stable. Whereas with a consultancy, it's your working environment plus your working environment protecting you against any potentially problematic client working environment. So there's like two, two vectors of attack. So
1: yeah. And it's the clients are constantly changing and rotating probably. And a lot of times they're coming to you because, oh, we have this massive deadline and we don't have the manpower to meet it or our stuff is so broken and it's, we need help. Like we've had a lot of people come to us, like, all of our tests are failing and our like, we just don't have the space to fix it. Like, please come help us. And projects like that can be really, really fun, but it's, it's always an opportunity for, for stress. And I mean, Matt and I have a lot of conversations like, okay, how do we keep stress from trickling down to the developers? And you know, that's a lot of my job is just to be a shield against that. Yeah.
0: Very cool. I, We'll make it through a podcast one day without saying I could talk for hours. Today's not that day. I could talk for <laughs> hours, but we're out of time. Um, is there anything that you wanted to cover that we haven't gotten a chance to talk about yet?
1: Oh, man. Um, I don't know. Should we plug Should we plug the dev battle? Yeah. When's this podcast I mean, being released? I,
0: I, I, I have heard that this will be released within the next week. So I've heard that some company, I don't know, some company you might work at will deal with it. But I'm trying not to nepotize that. But if, you're, if that's what you want to plug, <laughs> dear, dear guest, then go ahead.
1: Oh no, this is, this is the Laravel podcast nepotism and feelings version for sure.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> so back, back on the, on the react track, if you are interested in learning more about react native specifically and or native tools, if you care about view, no one listening to this <laughs> podcast cares about Vue though, clearly it's Keith Damiani, <laughs> who's the other senior developer and I had a dev battle about a year ago and, I still think the results were kind of bananas, but Vue was declared the winner. <laughs> so we're doing we're doing a round two, or I guess a, a part two with three rounds, and um, yeah. it's the React Native versus Native Tools battle, and it's, it is called Native Tools. Is it,
0: I is it? I think it's Native Script. Is right? it Native?
1: It, no, you're right. It's Native Script. Remember, I was having to see like you can tell like how much I know about this. <laughs> um, I just literally wrote a blog post about it too. Native Script. So part one is going to be we basically just build a. Super basic CRUD app. We're either going to just save it to whatever local storage or I'm going to, I have an API set up with like predefined Mm -hmm. user authentication tokens. Round two is authentication authorization. So trying to figure all that out. And round three, because a question, we've not done a React Native project yet. As a company, and one of the questions Matt and Dan or was asking me is how much code reuse is possible. So if we want to build a web app, can we use the right. React Native code? So um, round three is us taking those apps and then basically building a web app also and seeing kind of how we can reuse code. So we also have Caleb Porzio joining Team Vue and Daniel Colborne joining Team React. We pulled the twenty percent time. In, yep. Yeah. Pulled those guys in. So. Yeah. Oh, and the one thing I didn't mention is we don't we don't really know these tools that well. So we're kind of just figuring it out on the fly, pairing yeah, it's very and different.
0: L- last time it was like a React developer and a Vue developer with an unknown task. Now it is you know the task but you don't know the the code. It's going to be like a total flip of what it was last time. Right.
1: We have them we have mockups, we have the API. Everyone knows what we're building, which oddly even though I don't know this and you know, once again the internet might look at me and be like, "Oh, what is this girl doing?" It's so much less pressure. Like, I'm okay with live coding with the expectation. Right. Like, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm figuring it out. Right. If I don't figure it out, like, okay, you try to figure out React yeah. Native in four hours Bozo. Versus like, trying
0: to pretend to be the expert. Exactly. And then exactly. Can critico- Yeah, like, yeah,
1: The pressure of live coding for any of y'all who haven't done it, especially in like a timed battle context, like things that I do every day. I was like, how do I do this? I need to look it up. Like, <laughs> it's hard. And I'm like not yeah. even sweating this one. But it is if it's coming out next week, it'll be this Friday, May 25th. It's battle.titan.co. We have all the info, and there's a blog post coming out, too. So,
0: And if you listen to this after the fact, the, the recording will be there as well. So re- whether you listen to this before or after the battle, still go to that same site.
1: Well, there's going to be three rounds. So even if you missed the first round, you can come in. It's yeah. going to be on Twitch. You can smack talk. You can help us if you know anything at all about React Native or Native native script i wanted to call it native tools again <laughs> so yes it will be it will be a very fun time spicy meatball of a time you should you should tune in
0: i feel i feel better about this being less nepotistic because they planned this entire thing without me even knowing it was happening and they literally <laughs> they literally planned the first one during my son's preschool graduation so i won't even be there so It's gonna. I'm just. I'm gonna tune in after the fact and hear how it went. So I. I actually am disconnected from this. I promise. You're
1: making it sound like we did it on purpose. Like we didn't want Matt there. So we. No, (laughs) I'm just saying. Like it feels less.
0: It's not my thing that I'm pretending to not be. Actually, I actually like wasn't there for the planning. So it's just gonna be. uh, It's gonna be. It's gonna be a a nice surprise for me as well. So.
1: It'll be a nice surprise for all of us. It's gonna be. (laughs) We're winging (laughs) it, y'all. Don't judge us too harshly, unless it goes well. In which case, yeah, you can totally
0: know what we're doing. Yeah. uh okay anything else you want to plug or talk about or share
1: um nope not really follow me Uh, on twitter follow
0: you yeah how do they follow you yes i
1: have twitter fame i told you it's um at samantha geitz which g-e-i-t-z i'm assuming also you probably will see my name in your little podcast thing so it's a lot of uh can i say shit posting can you beep it out you can say shit posting shit posting i'm like people listen to this
0: cuss for the episode
1: I haven't. Have you noticed I didn't, Matt? I was trying really yeah, hard. Yeah, I know. Not to swear I, I know. I was really podcast. proud of it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I have the filthiest mouth <laughs> at the Titan. It's a kind of like, I haven't <laughs> been reprimanded, but I still feel like it's, it's a thing. <laughs> I also well, was told I, that I I'm think... the the broiest programmer at Titan, which is now part of my Twitter. That is
0: most certainly true. But I, yeah, I would say like. a code. Right. Our, our single, our single cuss down at the end of the podcast, I think I'll, I'll probably let this one slip through, so. Yes all right samantha <laughs> this was a ton of fun as always i loved it thank you so much for giving us some of your time and your story and uh we will all see you at the battle for react and view and whatever uh, a stuff well thank you so much oh, for having me yeah see you later bye